Well, good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for another week, letting us come together to be your people, to see one another, to be encouraged by one another. Help us, Lord, now to uh, set aside our other interests and concerns and be focused on you and how we might grow as believers, how we might honor you in our lives and in our families. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, in our series on the fruitful vineyard, filling the earth with godly children, I want to talk about methods and objectives. And so now we're getting down to some of the more practical aspects of how we do things. And there's really uh, an endless number of topics we could take up to discuss. And again, if you have particular questions you'd like us to address uh, in the next uh, week or two, uh, let me know. We'll try to plug those in. So remember that children need to know first where the boundaries are, what the rules are. And second, they need to know why the rules are the rules. And and we need to be sure that it comes in that order, the what and then the why. The why might come later, depending on their age. And then finally, they need to learn how to apply the rules to themselves in new situations. That's wisdom. That's the goal. If all, if the only thing they can do, if the only time they can do the right thing or function properly is when we're standing over them, telling them yes, no, uh, and, and providing all the correction, and they never get to the point where they are self-governed, then we have fallen short. We want to know that when we do send them off to college or send them off to life, wherever it is, that they will have an awareness of being before God and being having those same boundaries, those same limitations, and the same blessings that come from obeying and honoring God with their lives. And so this is what God does for us. He told Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree, but you cannot eat from this tree. He set the boundaries and the limitations. And if you break the rules, he says, you'll die. You'll be sin will come in and you will be separated. In this case, separated from God. And when sin comes between us, between a child and a parent, or uh, in in any family situation, or even in friendships, uh, then of course there is separation as well. And so God gave his instruction in his word, and, and that word tells us why his law is beneficial to us. So he gives us the why. Here's the benefit. And he also tells us, that by breaking that law will bring us misery, unhappiness. And finally, he puts us into circumstances where we must apply what he has taught us or fail to apply what he has taught us and then face the consequences, good or ill. And so I want to break down child training principally. Uh, Sometimes it's helpful to me a lot of times if I have some bullet points and ways to think about something to see what we're doing, to understand, I need to understand the why uh, in order to implement the rules. I heard we were at a conference this week and somebody asked, uh, raised their hands, how many of you are rule keepers and then how many of you are not? Rule keepers, if you're just geared that way, tend to keep the rules because they're the rules. But for those who, like me who are not rule keepers that way, 
I need to know why the rules are the rules. I'll keep the rules if I understand why I'm keeping them. I like to understand the why part of it. That helps me keep the rules. So I want to break down child training into three phases, and this really is the trivium that we talk about in classical education. I'm going to use language that's a little bit different. Um, I think biblical language is really helpful here. But let's just start with the phase one, and that is, uh, in, in the trivium, that would be the grammar phase, but I'm going to use the word knowledge. Your children are born knowing nothing. All knowledge, really, at least initially, and, and in the sense that you oversee it, all knowledge comes from you. You control everything they learn. You, you pick the books, the TV programs, the friends, the neighbors. Uh, you have control over all the knowledge input that they have. You provide the raw material that they will draw from uh, to form their view and their understanding of the world. They believe pretty much everything you tell them, though they don't always like what you tell them. If you tell them there's a tooth fairy and an Easter bunny, they believe you. And if you tell them that Jesus loves them, they believe you. Like the Garden of Eden, though, you must establish the boundaries. You establish the rules. What are the rules? Where can you go and where can you not go? Where can you, what can you say? How can you express yourself? What can you do and not do? And so parents must clearly establish the what aspect of learning first. This is the knowledge part. Here's what you can do. The fuzzier the boundaries, the harder it will be to train your children. When they know the limits, then they have a clear standard to go by. So the first lesson that a child must learn is that their parents not only establish the rules, but their parents also enforce the rules. So we're back to what we talked about last week with doctrine and discipline. You know, the what and then the enforcement. And so the child's only obligation, the only obligation the Bible gives to children is to obey their parents. Honor and obey. Those are two parts of, of the same thing, really. And so honor is the, the attitude and the obedience is the outward fruit of that, of that attitude. And so the action and attitude come together. The establishment of parental authority, then, is the most essential aspect of training children. I, I'm always amazed when I hear parents say, uh, particularly with little children, I can't get them to do something. I don't quite understand that. Yes, you can. Now, you may need some help. You may need somebody to give you some ideas and instruction. We're going to talk about some of that. But yes, you can. Not only can you, you must. God put you in that position, and you are to assert that position and to see to it that that gets done. Don't be fooled into thinking either that uh, a particular incident with your child is all that matters, you know, whatever is going on in the moment. You always have to see beyond that, see deeper into what is at issue. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? 
who's in control, who's not. Every encounter, every violation of the rules is a test of two things. Who's in charge and under what conditions do they have to obey? So, do they have to obey the first time you tell them, or the second, or the tenth, or never? Or maybe just occasionally. It's, it's, uh, it's a game of chance. Sometimes dad means it, and sometimes he doesn't. I'll take my chances. So, who is in charge, and under what conditions do we have to obey? Failure to establish or enforce the rules uh, is not an option. Unclear rules are not fair to children, and they end up making the parents' job impossible. If the rules are vague, then the goals are vague. And if the goals are vague, then you can never achieve God's purposes. When you fail to properly enforce the rules or inflict sufficient pain for the violation of the rules, then you teach them that the rules are not really rules at all. They might be suggestions, or sometimes they're rules and sometimes they're not. They learn that they only have to obey when you tell them three times, or when you raise your voice, or that you will simply move them away without penalty. In other words, they don't have to obey your commands except under very limited conditions. Remember, your goal is to bring your child up to a place of self-control or self-government under God. Your, and so your job is to control them until they can control themselves. I often would tell my children that. You either control yourself or I will control you. Those are your only two options. It'll be a lot better if you control yourself. It'll be a lot less painful for you and me. We'll all be happier the sooner you learn to control yourself. But until you do, God gave me you. And he gave you, me, to see to it that you do what you're supposed to do. And so, as long as they're obeying the rules, that is, living within the boundaries you've established, uh, then they are exercising self-control. And when they step outside the boundaries, you must be, become the controlling force. That can, and we're going to talk about all the different ways you can do that. Sometimes it's just a look or a... Word of correction. Uh-uh. Don't do that. That may be sufficient. Whatever it takes. And you've got a whole arsenal of things at your disposal to, to make sure that you follow through and see to it. And when you don't, by the way, when you do not follow through, then you're being disobedient. You're not doing what God's called you to do. And you're going to pay the consequences for the consequences of that. Um, or you'll see the consequences of that. And so a child left to himself, the Bible says, uh, is not a good idea. Proverbs 29:15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And so when you allow your child to, quote, get his own way, to throw temper fits, to argue, to scowl, to disobey, then you're training them that these are acceptable ways for them to respond to God's authority. Because remember, you represent God. God put you in charge. You didn't put you in charge. 
There is no authority except that which comes from God. So when they disobey your authority, that's what they're learning. And if you let them get away with it, that's what they're learning about God's authority and what they can do with that. They learn that they are the most important person and that if they aren't happy, no one will be happy. Sound like any adults you know? So controlling your child is loving your child. A well-controlled child is a happy child. And I'm not talking about a repressed child, a child that's, you know, strapped to a chair or, or you know, that, that is restrained in, in, a, in a cruel way or, I don't know, I'm not just talking about physical constraint, you know, by browbeating or uh, that kind of thing. We're not talking about crushing a child. We're talking about controlling a child, letting a child be a child, but in the context of the boundaries. Here's how you can be a child. And so there's great liberty, there should be great joy, should be great fun, great learning experiences, but still clear boundaries. And then they become a joy to the entire household. And ultimately, they are a joy to the world instead of a pain to the world. And so parents often avoid demanding obedience. Why? Because we don't like conflict. Anybody like conflict? So now we'll go out of our way to avoid conflict. But conflict is necessary. When somebody's sinning, conflict is essential. And so parents will find excuses for why their child is disobedient. They will justify, in their own minds or even to other people, improper behavior. Or they'll give some token swat that is virtually useless. And the truth is, they are not, in that case, loving their child, but they are engaged in self-love. But even that's deceptive, because it's only short-term self-love, not long-term self-love. It might avoid the conflict in the moment, but really all it's doing is postponing the conflict where it will be bigger and more heartbreaking. And so the loving parent must deny themselves and put the benefit of their children first. Phase two, so that's knowledge. They need to know the what, where are the boundaries. Now phase two is understanding. In Trivium, uh, this is the logic phase. And so things are changing as children grow and are maturing. Remember, the goal is to raise not children, but adults. And so that's where we're headed. So we want them to become more like adults. Don't baby your children. If they're a baby, treat them like a baby. But as soon as they're not babies, when they're toddlers, treat them like toddlers. And when they're little kids, treat them like little kids. But stop treating them like babies. That does not help them or you or anybody else. So treat them at an age-appropriate level and a little higher, probably. Maybe that's what we ought to do. Whatever age you think, push that a little bit. Expect a little bit more. Um, And so puberty marks a major change in the life of your child. They're entering what we call the youth phase. They begin to look more mature and awkward at first, and they begin to look at the world differently as well. They may switch uh, moment to moment from acting like a little child to acting somewhat like an adult and then back again, and uh, that can happen multiple times in an hour. 
By now, the parents' control should have been established. Father and mother should not have to be standing quite as nearby to ensure that the rules are followed. Um, it's, uh, I do think there's some parallels in animal training, but with border collies, who they train to herd sheep from great distances. They initially, the, the training shepherd will keep that dog nearby very close on a, on a short leash to learn the basic commands. And then they'll put them on a, uh, I've seen them put them on something almost like fishing line, a real lightweight, almost invisible cord that's maybe 25 feet long. And so now they're letting that dog not only get further away, but that dog actually has the illusion that they're, they're on their own when they're not. And so that way when they're disobedient, they can be reeled back in. Uh, and corrected. But the goal is eventually that the great border uh, collies can operate hundreds of feet and yards away just at a whistle command uh, and do so very reliably. And so I think that's a good picture and a good image of what we want to do. We start out close at hand, they get a little further out, a little further away. We're testing them, right? We want to see how they do. And then there's that moment when you say, okay, can we actually leave? Uh, Johnny at home by himself for 15 minutes while we run down to the store? Or can we leave them alone with his little sister and his little brother for an hour while we do something? That's a little scary. That's a little bit uh, where you're, you're beginning to test to see, can we, can we trust him? Can we do this? Is, he, is this going to create a problem? And so hopefully you don't, you, know, you don't just dive into the deep end. You're wading into the pool as you do this. And so, children began to question things and want to know why things are uh, the way they are, including the rules. Why do I have to go to bed at 9 o'clock? And so, uh, we've been telling them what to do, and now more and more uh, we began training them as to why they're doing it, moving from external control to establishing internal control. They're starting to put the pieces together and to make sense of the world they live in. Uh, they want to understand, even though, remember, they don't understand yet. And they're not going to under, understand everything you tell them or every explanation you give. Uh, they're not going to necessarily find acceptable. Uh, and so, oh, how, so, so you should remember with that in mind that obedience is still required even when they don't understand or don't like the reasons that you give them. Um, or if you just choose not to give them a reason, sometimes it's always good to circle back around and say, right now you're going to do it because I said so. And that should always be sufficient. Because I said so. Yes, sir. Now, I want to urge you as parents, where you can, give explanations as, they, as their understanding grows. But then when they kick back against the explanation, that's when you come back and say, okay, then, because I said so. Okay, you obviously are not at a place where you can grasp the argument or understand my reasons. And so we can always come back to that one. Appeal to authority. Um, and so it, uh, this can be difficult, a difficult time for parents who don't know why they have the rules that they have. Granted, children don't always understand the reasons given to them, but it's embarrassing to be asked 
why we're doing something or why we believe something when we're not prepared to give an answer as parents. So in that case, when we say, because I said so, we're not being honest. We're just, we're just retreating into a safe zone for ourselves instead of dealing with what we should deal with. Parents may then be tempted to respond in anger, telling a child not to question their authority. Now this is new territory, this changing time, for both children and parents. Children in their quest for understanding may or might ask questions in an inappropriate way, uh, and that may, uh, should prompt parents to reestablish control. So part of the boundaries, part of the rules ought to include, here's how you can ask a question. Here's how you show respect. Here's how you may disagree. Here's how you may make an inquiry. And so parents who are not used to having been questioned may resist such questions and always interpret them as rebellion. They may not be. If parental control or authority has been clearly established during childhood, then the transition should go relatively smoothly, but never perfectly. Your children have come to see that you're trustworthy, that you love them, that you have their best interest at heart, that you too are obedient to God and His authority, and you do what's right even when you don't want to. And they've seen that. And if they haven't seen that, you're going to have problems. Remember, it always starts with you. You're a child. You're a child of God. How do you interact with your Heavenly Father? You must now train them to ask the why questions with respect, never challenging your authority. You see, God doesn't have to tell us anything either, but He frequently does so. Now, the third phase is the wisdom phase. That's where we're aiming. Like the two other phases, children uh, grow into this phase. You know, there's no moment that it happens. They go to bed one night and wake up in the new phase. It's a gradual thing, and and these overlap. Uh, We're always growing in knowledge. That never stops, and hopefully growing in understanding and growing in wisdom. But these come sequentially. Like the two other phases, again, these, uh, these are a process. This last phase begins about the time they get their driver's license. As a friend of mine used to say, Ben House used to say, they're all Christians until they get their driver's license. Um, that's when the challenge comes. New mobility. I always say about little infants, you know, they're so cute and they seem so innocent, but really, they're busy planning. As soon as they can become articulate and get mobile, they're going for something that they're not supposed to go for. They're checking things out. They're going to test the boundaries. Okay? And they're going to scream and holler to make sure you know they're the center of the universe. Okay? And so that, that's happening there, but it keeps on happening. And so now with greater mobility, that means new boundaries can be challenged and tested. And so if you haven't done a very good job on on having them not touch the things on the coffee table that you don't want touched, now that they're out in a car somewhere and they're away from your presence more, the challenges are going to be more dangerous and bigger. But But fundamentally it's the same kind of problem. And so 
The basic rule is that parents must continue to control their children at every point where they will not control themselves. Remember, the goal of maturity, again, is self-control or self-government under God. There should be a gradual shift over the training period from birth to adulthood that moves from total parental control to total self-control or self-government. God's law is the controlling force, uh, controlling or limiting force for all of us. True liberty is found in God's law. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Again, the train on the tracks is the most free, not when it gets off the tracks. And so just as a law-abiding citizen does not fear uh, the minister of justice, you know, if you're obeying the law, then you're not afraid of the police, then the law-abiding child does not need to fear parents. They keep the law whether the enforcer of the law is present or not. Because they've learned that the ultimate enforcer of the law is God. And so if parents have trained their children properly, children will value their parents' counsel rather than forsaking it. That's why the Proverbs talk about it. Don't forsake uh, the counsel and wisdom of your father and your mother. Uh, and so they'll continue, continuously implement what they've learned as children, and they'll come and seek advice from parents. So now I want to shift a little bit in our last few minutes and discuss uh, uh, some aspects, guidelines for discipline. There are always abusive parents who want to go beyond God's standards in the discipline of their children. They become physically and or verbally abusive. This is always a sin, and it's a serious sin. It impacts the lives of people for a long, long time, really multiple generations. And so parents must always represent the Heavenly Father. Likewise, there are abusive parents, and they don't really like that term applied to them, who want to do less than what God's standards require. They can be gentle souls. They are kinder than God, which is no kindness at all. I was with Greg Bonson once out in Los Angeles, and we were we'd gone to something the equivalent of Academy to get some shoes that he wanted, and it was in downtown L.A., and as we were coming out, uh, me being a naive East Texas boy, uh, he said, uh, you see that gang over there? Uh, and the gang was over there, we were here, and the car was over there and that we need to get to. He said, Do not, don't look over there. We're going to kind of make a beeline to the car. Just, just go. We don't want to ever look like we're challenging, threatening, or afraid. And so as we're going, getting in the car, he says, this is what happens in a society that tries to be kinder than God. The innocent live in fear. The parent who's been so kind ends up living in fear. Because that child will turn on that parent and that child will become the abuser of the parent. Um, and so, the uh, Bible says, Proverbs 13, 24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him will discipline him promptly. So these parents, often well-intentioned, again, think they're kinder than God, instead of spanking their children, uh, give them other, uh, other things that really are meaningless, timeouts or whatever. Now, I'm not saying there's never a place for that, but 
when that replaces God's methods, that becomes a problem. Or they simply leave them in their rebellion or hold on to them or some trendy means of disobeying God, and that too is sin. Other parents fail to love their children by simply ignoring their rebellion. The goal of biblical discipline is to establish godly order, self-government in the life of the child. They learn the covenant blessings of obedience and they learn the covenant curses or miseries of disobedience. Really that simple. And so all of discipline must be set in the context of positive training, doctrine. That's the primary aspect of discipline. Let me show you what to do. Let me show you how to do it. Let me help you do it. That's positive discipline, training. Now, if you don't do it, then I'm going to correct you. I'm going to correct you with my words. I'm going to correct you with my looks. I'm going to correct you with a spanking. I'm going to correct you because I love you, and these standards are not just important, but essential. They're essential for you and your happiness, and they're essential for our happiness, our family's happiness, and they are essential for the happiness of your neighbors. And so, discipline must be consistent and not arbitrary. There should always be a penalty for rebellion. Though on occasion there may be self-conscious mercy applied as well, uh, but that isn't overlooking rebellion. Rather, it's a means of teaching God's grace toward sinners. I think I've told you the story about a guy I knew once who, when he was like four years old, had spit on his little sister and his grandmother saw it. She called him in from outside and sat him down. His name was Steve. I think he went by Stevie then. Uh, and said, Stevie. And he said, I, I, did, I knew I was going to get a spanking and be in big trouble. And she said, uh, what did you do? And he said, I spit on my sister. And she said, do you know that that's what they did to Jesus? And he said, I broke into tears. And she said, I'm not going to spank you because Jesus forgave the people that spit on him. So you can use moments to teach. But I think that only worked because Stevie had had a lot of spankings before. And he also knew what he deserved. In that situation. He, by the way, said that was when he marks his conversion to Christ. So, um, there must be understanding and discipline. A child should always know why they are being disciplined. Don't, don't assume they know simply because you know. Ask them why they're being disciplined. Tell them why if they don't know why. And have them tell you why they're being disciplined. Rachel's leaving now because she knows I'm thinking to tell another story on her. Um, you know, when you're, when you're little, Rachel was, I don't know, three or four, and she was getting a cookie out of the kitchen about, uh, I don't know, 5 o'clock, 5.30, near supper time. I said, no, you can't have any cookies. We're about to eat supper. So I went to do something. I came back and caught her getting a cookie. Okay, go to the bedroom. And get a spanking. You go back there. Why are you getting a spanking? Because I got a cookie. No. You're getting a spanking because you disobeyed. Why are you getting a spanking? 
because I disobeyed. Okay, bend over. Now we know why. I don't want to confuse, I don't want to, a child can misunderstand what's going on. You're mad at me because I ate a cookie. No. I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed in you and I love you because, and because you disobeyed and because I loved you, now I'm going to discipline you so that you can learn to obey, which is what's good for you and what's good for everybody else. Parents must be in control of themselves when they discipline. Remember, be angry and sin not. Discipline is for correction and for the good of the offender, not for vengeance on the part of the parent. Sin is rebellion and it breaks communion and the goal of discipline is to restore communion. So some methods of discipline. Um, I'm going to just read a few passages here and then talk about some methods real quick. Um, the Bible says that the rod or spanking is the primary method of disciplining children. Chasten your son while there's hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 19:18. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22, 15. 23, 13 through 16, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You will beat him with a rod. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Proverbs 29:15 The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Um, and so there must be substance to the form. The fellowship of the parents must be desired by the child, something they have, have uh, something something they enjoy having, fellowship with mom and dad. Discipline comes when the rules of the parents are violated and thus fellowship with the parents is broken. Sin separates us from God and it should temporarily separate children from harmonious communion with their parents. If your home is an unpleasant place to be and your children do not find your fellowship something they would want, then the spanking is little more than one more painful event in the midst of a whole bunch of other painful events. Spanking by itself is not sufficient to establish godly order. Order is broken when rules are broken. Pain is inflicted as a result of disorder and disobedience. But the pain is designed to cause the rule breaker to not want to break the rules again. Having applied this discipline, the correction is made and fellowship and order are restored. Everyone, parent and child, should be happier as a result both immediate and long-term. There must be form to the substance. Just going through the motions of spanking may make the parent feel a little better, but it always fails uh, to produce the desired result. Doug Wilson wrote, uh, After all is said and done, you will say that we tried that and it didn't work. But what was actually tried was a little tippity-tap, tippity-tap on the top of the diapers and the overalls, and the average child will spend most of his time during the discipline wondering what's going on back there. The form of discipline then must be meaningful. If it is not painful in some sense of the word, then it's not discipline. Sometimes parents have said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Now, in one sense, that might be true on occasion, 
but most of the time it should hurt them more than it does you. If your spankings are not accomplishing the purpose of correcting your child's behavior, then they are probably not strong enough. Your child should remember the spanking long enough to reorder his priorities and adjust his attitude. He should want to avoid the next spanking. Now, as children grow older, other creative forms of discipline uh, may be applied. And I'm going to wrap up with this part. I always look forward to this little section. Um, Now, remember, don't sin against your children. That's an overarching rule always with discipline. Uh, That doesn't mean you can't have a little bit of secret pleasure in the discipline. Because you love your children and you know what you're doing for them. And, um, and so, um, uh, one, one piece of advice, young men especially, I give you, I don't know when you're at that, at some stage we get where we say, okay, I don't spank my children, they've gotten too big to spank, we do other things. But there's always that moment, uh, not always, but frequently, we had this with Aaron, uh, maybe somewhere around 12, 13, uh, where he received the spanking and he made the, this incredible mistake of saying that didn't hurt. Um, don't do that. That's not a, that's not a smart thing to do. Uh, Kristen, who will be here a little later uh, uh, today, but she, uh, when she was a teenager, she had gotten her driver's license. She didn't have her own car. She had the, fam- the family car, and, uh, but she did have her own set of keys. And uh, on one occasion, some offense, Marinelle said, give me your keys. That was pretty powerful for her to have to relinquish her keys or perhaps now it would be a cell phone or some other cherished item. That's your car. That's your phone, by the way. You're paying for it. And that's your bedroom that they live in. Those clothes they're wearing, those are your clothes, parents. That's not their stuff. That's your stuff. It's a privilege. Okay? They work for you. You own them until you release them, until they're on their own, and paying for everything, they're yours. You're responsible for them, and you're in charge. And so uh, the laws, uh, of the privacy laws that apply in the state don't apply at your house to you and your kids. Okay? I'm just going to say it. You can look through their stuff. You can check their text messages. You can read their email. You can spy on them. They're yours. That's your job. If you're not spying on them, you're not doing your job. You should know what's going on, who they're with, what they're listening to. That is your job. And they're going to raise, sometimes, objections to that. They're wrong. Okay, it's your responsibility. Um, the girls one day were, as many times, told to clean their room and were complaining about that. They lived in a small room, uh, confined space, which is hard. And as, as usually happened, the, the argument ensued of who, who did what. And you put that there, and no, that's not mine, that's yours, that kind of thing. And so Marinelle uh, told them, I think she gave them a warning. 
she stopped complaining and to clean the room. She didn't want to hear it anymore, but complaining now got a little lower, mumbling under the breath. So Mary and I went and got two clean, dry washcloths um, and said, open your mouth. And she put the washcloths in their mouths. Um, Close your mouth, just hold that there and keep it there until the room is clean. And there were tears. Thankfully, the washcloth caught the tears. Um, It was a dry washcloth, so uh, the room got clean. After that, the threat of the washcloth became pretty effective. You know, just the, you want me to get the washcloth? Humility is called for sometimes because sin is arrogant, prideful. Um, my brother-in-law had two boys. Uh, they were staying at the house once. They like, you know, went to bed, and they're kicking each other. They're in the same bed and fighting. So he calls them in and says, all right, you, can, you have a choice. You have a spanking or you can jump. They were, I don't know, seven or eight. So they chose jumping. In fact, they thought jumping was quite fun for about a minute. And after about three minutes, it was not fun at all. Uh, tears. And they were exhausted. And my brother-in-law said, this is great. It doesn't leave a mark. And they're exhausted. And then when they went to bed, they went right to sleep. And they both became really good soccer players. (laughs) So a lot of benefits. Um, I think Annabelle had an experience with a squirt gun. Did you? I think Marinelle gave this advice to Annabelle. Annabelle had power with Annabelle when this was going Less than a year, but she would scream a lot. I remember. I lived down the road, I heard it. So, um, so uh, spankings weren't being that effective, but uh, a squirt gun uh, in the face was pretty effective. Um, so, again, all this has to be in the context of what my favorite, and I, I think I've, the statute of limitations is up on this one, um, is uh, was Sarah Grace and Aunt Elizabeth um, got to wear what I, I've now labeled a communion shirt. Um, this is all about communion. I think David was out of town and they were having, they were young teenage girls. They're mature now, they don't have these kinds of issues anymore. Um, but they were supposed to be doing their chores, and I think they were giving each other the elbow and a few complaints toward one another. And so Nicole put them in the same T-shirt face to face, and uh, they didn't. They thought that was pretty humiliating, and said they were going to tell me. And that was that's never a good idea. Don't say something like I'm going to tell Dad or I'm going to tell Pastor Booth. Okay, that's probably not going to go your way. So Nicole got the speakerphone, called the house. I got on the phone and and called them to the phone in their T-shirt. And uh, my only regret is I don't have a picture of this. Did you get a picture? Okay. Um, And so uh, I said, were you ladies treating each other like Christians? No, sir. Well, I suggest that you get happy in that T-shirt and finish your chores and start treating each other like Christians and then you won't ever have to do that again. Did you ever, did you ever threaten it again? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now, 
Again, I'm sure all of you have other examples, maybe things your parents did or you've done. Again, the goal here is to train and to teach and, and to do whatever it takes within the boundaries that God has put upon us as parents in loving our children to see to it that not only their outward behavior but their hearts begin to be conformed. And we do that by making bad behavior painful and good behavior a blessing, a happiness, a joy. Don't forget to commend your children, to thank them, to show gratitude and appreciation uh, for obedience and hard work and all those kinds of things. And uh, show your pride in them in, in that respect. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the fact that you love us, that you give us rules, and you discipline us. Help us to do the same as parents as we represent you. Bless us now as we prepare for worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.